What was profound for me is I saw him find courage inside himself to go places he was afraid to go alone. And I saw him do for his dog what he was not willing to do for himself. In 12 years, 212 dogs gifted. We have not lost one veteran to suicide. Hello, this is Al Levin, the creator and host of The Depression Files. I wanted to share with you a new way to support the show. Let's just say it's as easy as buying a cup of coffee. If you enjoy the podcast and have found value in the show, please consider buying me a cup of coffee. Check out the site buymeacoffee.com slash Levin. There, you'll have the option of buying me a one-time cup or cups of coffee, or to become a member in order to purchase me some coffee monthly. Your support will help me to not only get caffeinated up, but also to offset the cost of the podcast hosting site, maintain and update my equipment, and support the amount of time that it takes in order to produce the show. Again, you can find the site at buymeacupofcoffee.com slash allevin. A-L-L-E-V-I-N. It's easy to do and would really help me out greatly. Finally, another way to help me out would be to take just a minute to rate and review the show. This really helps others to be able to discover the show. Thank you for considering to support me in these ways. And now, to the show. Welcome to The Depression Files an interview format show in which you'll hear stories of men who have struggled with depression and or other mental illnesses. In addition, you'll hear deep dive conversations with guest experts on various topics related to mental health, topics such as depression and other mental illnesses, medication, suicide awareness and prevention, our current mental health system, and of course, the stigma that surrounds mental illnesses. I believe that both sharing stories and educating people are ways to chip away at the stigma. I'm your host, Al Levin, and I want to thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Depression Files. This is Al Levin, your host. I am really excited today on the line. We have Shannon Walker. Shannon is the founder and CEO of Northwest Battle Buddies. Shannon, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Al, for having me on. I'm so excited to talk about Northwest Battle Buddies and all the all that we do. Thank, thank you. Oh my God, it sounds like you do amazing work, and I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Before we do, let's just talk about the incredible need around mental health support, suicide prevention for military veterans in particular. Absolutely. You know, that's why I founded Northwest Battle Buddies. Um, my dad had always raised me to believe in God, family, and country. And when you're in the presence of a veteran, you're in the presence of a hero, even though he never considered himself one. So I just grew up, you know, loving our military, being so grateful for my freedom and recognizing sacrifice. But I had no idea the sacrifice that they're truly paying, even after they're wearing the uniform. And it was the suicide rate amongst our American heroes of 22 veterans a day are committing suicide. And sometimes that number fluctuates from 22 to 21 or 20, but one, one suicide a day is too much. Because that means, you know, if, if the suicide rate is 22 veterans a day, which that is the statistic, that means 22 families are planning funerals today. These are fathers and mothers and sisters and, and sons, and, and it's incredible. And that's the reason I founded Northwest Battle Buddies. I'd been training dogs for years, but it was realizing 
the suicide rate. And I, and I had a veteran come in that, that made it personal for me as he shared his story and it was profound and, and it started the chain of events that, that got me doing what I do. Wow. Yeah. I know. Like I watched your Ted talk from November, 2019. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I could, I mean, your passion around supporting military veterans was palpable. I mean, you are so passionate about it and you don't just say these are heroes in front of you. I mean, I could feel that. Yeah. And I, I just love that. So you realized that PTSD was impacting veterans. You realized that the suicide rate was high. It, and clearly it seems like you had a personal, um, you know, with your father being a military vet and kind of instilling this in you. Um, and then you had a path of your own unrelated originally, but it was related completely to the dog world. Tell us about mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, you know, I, um, I've loved dogs my whole life and I knew I wanted to do something with animals when I was a child, but I always kind of thought I'd work on a farm or wanted to do something with horses. And I actually wanted to be a veterinarian until I, I worked in a veterinarian clinic and I have so much respect for what they do, but I just cried all the time. It just wasn't, oh I goodness. just was like, no. And so it wasn't until I had a German shepherd dog and my, um, the gentleman that I was going to marry was just not the biggest dog person in the world. And he was like, get him trained or get rid of him. And didn't even realize what a blessing that would be. So I sought out trainers just like everybody does. And I ended up being so blessed to be able to work with a gentleman who had won the world championship in Schutzen. And Schutzen is wow. a sport, Schutzen is a sport out of Europe, like police dog training, protection, tracking, and obedience. And it was being exposed to that, that I fell in love with the beauty and the precision of it. And I thought, man, that's what I want to do. And so I went down that road and started training my own dog. And then, you know, my dad always said, you don't know what you don't know. And a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous because I'd be training my dog to get ready to compete, you know, in a park and people would come up to me and they'd ask for help. And I was like, oh, well, I knew more than I knew yesterday. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I can help you. And I just kind of honestly faked it until I made it. And it wasn't, wow. it wasn't, so I started competing, but it wasn't until, um, I realized I had to make money and I had twin, you know, my twin boys were just babies and hey, I'm I, in the twins club by the way as well. Oh, that's awesome. Well, <laughs> are you, are you fraternal or are you identical? Fraternal boy, girl. Yep. So uh, my, not me, but two of my four kids. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. my boys are fraternal and they are as different as oil and water. Their belief systems <laughs> okay. are the same, but the rest is all that. But, right, but right. I thought if I could just, you know, I thought if I could just um, train four dogs a month, I could be a stay-at-home mom, instill my values in my children, and and I and I could be a stay-at-home mom with four dogs a month, and that was thousands and thousands of dogs ago, twenty-eight years ago, millions of dollars ago. It just turned into this. Um, it, it's an incredible blessing, but that's how all of this started. Was just that little seed of if I can just do this, I saw four dogs a month, and um, it's it's just been an incredible journey. I've I've competed. Um, in the Schutzen sport for 10 years. I've, I've done national and international competitions. I have had the privilege and honor of working with four, uh, seven different police departments, assisting and helping train their police canines. And of course, I train veterans, you know, uh, service dogs for veterans with Northwest Battle Buddies. But even in my for-profit business that I've had for almost three, you know, 30 years now, thousands of dogs, saving them from going into shelters, being euthanized, um, just helping civilians any way I can um, to just help balance a dog, bring education in all of that industry. And uh, 
make a difference. And it's just been an incredible journey. And I get to do this and I get to paid, I get paid to do my passion and it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's probably everybody's goal, right? Uh, That your job is your passion and you love it. And it doesn't even feel like a job then. No, it doesn't. If I wasn't getting paid, I'd be doing it for free. And half the time, you know, a lot, I do do it for free. So it's all, it's, it's, it's incredible blessing. That is funny. And so incredible amounts of training, huge background in um, training police dogs, these international competitions. And then you mentioned one day a veteran Mm -hmm. stood in front of you and asked you for additional help. And it sounds like around creating, uh, turning his own dog into a, a service dog. And it sounds like that was something you had never done, but you were just so compelled from his story. Share with us that experience. Absolutely. You know, so when you're a business owner, especially with the multiple businesses I'm responsible for, if I can delegate it away, I do. I save what only I can do for me, you know? And, but, but in, even though my father, my father served during the Korean war and he did create, you know, he just, you know, growing up, you know, the, it was just the influence of, you know, the, that when you are in front of a veteran, you're in front of a, a hero. And, um, even though, you know, he didn't talk about it, he just lived it. He was just an incredible Patriot. So, you know, I was actually doing a groom, I was bathing a dog and a veteran just came into my business, just like so many of my clients do. And he brought in his dog. And when I found out he was a veteran, I stopped what I was doing and I went to assist him to find out. And he just, you know, he was like, I, I want my dog to be trained to be a service dog for PTSD. I had trained multiple service dogs before, but never one for a veteran of PTSD. So I, I just do, I just did what I do. I assessed the dog, asked him what she needed to task for, you know, and, and her age and did all the stuff I do around the parameters of a service dog and the investment that one create, you know, it takes to train a service dog. And he left her that day. Um, she was a young yellow lab named Sammy and, uh, she was sweet, just, needed boundaries and needed, needed discipline and needed to be trained. And so he left her and I just do what I do. And months later, when it was time for him to come in, um, for his training, that's where things started to change for me. You know, I, I, you know, because when we're out training, you know, veterans of PTSD don't want to go out into public. They don't want crowds. They don't want to engage the public. You know, they're isolated. They have, you know, they don't trust people. And, but, you know, Kevin was, he was just a trooper. And, but when we were out doing the public portion of the training, the public access portion, what was profound for me is I saw him find courage inside himself to go places he was afraid to go alone. And I, and I saw him do for her, do for his dog, what he was not willing to do for himself. And not only that, this was, this was it for me. When we would start to talk, he talked about his drug addiction. He talked about how he self-medicated. And now at this point he was clean, but how he was trying to just survive. And he talked about the last firefight he was in. He was a soldier in the army and he talked about the last firefight he was in and his buddies that survived that firefight that came home, six of them on American soil had committed suicide. Oh my God. And I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't yeah. believe the price that was still being paid for my freedom. They weren't wearing the uniform form anymore, but daily they were paying a price. And it just, I was like, I, I just couldn't believe it. And for well, me. And, and how, you know, you talk about their families and everybody, and there's such a ripple effect, right? Like it, it affected, the clearly affected and impacted the veterans standing in front of you. 
and they weren't family. I mean, they probably feel like family. That's what I hear about military. Oh, but yeah. the ripple effect is incredible. It is. You know, there isn't a time in our classes where we're working with groups of veterans providing their service dogs. There isn't a time that one of the veterans doesn't lose a buddy to suicide. There right. isn't a time that an anniversary date of a suicide that doesn't come up. Even my own boys, they served in the military and they lost multiple comrades, you know, uh, service members that they were serving alongside of. They lost them while the while the they were their buddies were serving and committing suicide. You know, my my son was home at Christmas and his sergeant committed suicide. You know, my my son's home on a Christmas and they were extremely close. It's it's such an unbelievable epidemic that is a silent epidemic. It's like people hear about twenty two veterans a day, or they you know, and they start to hear you know what that what that um, messaging is all about at the same time, but it isn't real until it touches you. Yeah, and absolutely. What, and what Kevin said and came in, along with my foundation that my father instilled, it touched me. And I will tell you, when I watched Kevin walk away from his last training, you know, he had passed his testing, and I'd accomplished a lot of things in the dog world. But when he walked away, I watched him walking away through the parking lot with his dog at his side, shoulders back, head up. I truly felt like I made a significant difference in the quality of somebody's life. Oh and when, and when That must have been so rewarding for you. Well, it was, I just, I was feeling something I'd never felt before in doing what I do in the dog world. And then veterans, and then veterans started to come into my business and they, cause they met Kevin after he received and we trained his dog to be a service dog and they saw the change in him and they started coming to my business looking for dogs. I didn't have dogs to give them. And then I thought in my simple minded thinking, I thought if I can just adopt dogs out of shelters. I can train them and I can gift them and say, thank you for my freedom. And, oh my God. and that was 212 service dogs ago in the wow, last 12 two, years. 212 service dogs in 12 years. That is incredible. And uh, I, I'm just, I'm curious, had Kevin, this, this veteran, heard about service dogs? And is that why he went to you saying, I, I really want to turn this dog? How did he even have the idea of a service dog? Well, he'd been involved in therapy. Um, he had, you know, he had been self-medicating and, you know, with illegal drugs. And um, he had been clean for a year by the time he came to me. So he was heavily involved in the VA and its therapy. And the okay. VA, the local VAs were hearing about it. You know, actually, they weren't hearing about us yet. He just, they were talking about service dogs. And right, he, right. he just sought out a trainer and happened to walk into my place. Now, yeah. the, now the VA refers us. But at that time, that was just... Uh, that was just God ordained in my opinion. So, yeah, that is so cool. So tell us about, you get a dog from the shelter. First of all, why are dogs so good at working with military vets? And then in addition to that, uh, tell us, uh, about the, what the training entails. So, you know, dogs are amazing. You know, dogs and horses are the animals that can feel you. And I actually need to do more scientific study behind this, but I tell our veterans all the time, everything you feel goes straight down the leash. And, you know, humans have used dogs for years in, you know, seizure detection dogs, high and low blood sugar for diabetics. You know, they're, they're sniffing out cancer. You know, we've used them in the military for bombs and drugs and all this type of stuff. But they smell the chemical changes in our body. And it doesn't mean that every single dog can do it. Because if a dog is not balanced in his brain and he's not completely intuitive, calm, connected with his handler then the brain is not calm enough and clear enough to be able to be um, 
sensitive to all of his senses. You know, a lot of times when people live with pets, the way humans live with them, we get them so overstimulated in their brain. Their brains are overloaded and re reactive to everything. So I've had people say, well, can I guess every dog can just be a service dog. Then I can just get a dog out of a shelter. And it's like, well, yes and no. I mean, it doesn't mean that you cannot get dogs out of shelters. In fact, that is the one thing that we um, continue to do is, is we, even 12 years later, even though we do breed dogs. But it is the training program. It is the way we are training dogs that makes things significant to where their ability to serve our veterans and smell. We, we train the dogs to task in a very practical way as a social barrier, um, you know, where the public is concerned and sometimes balance and mobility. But the fact that these dogs can alert on adrenaline and they're stopping panic attacks and they're interrupting, you know, flashbacks and they're waking our veterans up from nightmares, which is so significant um, that, it, you know, it's just amazing. So the way God designed them, the way God designed the dog and their senses and their relationship with man, it's just a perfect storm in the way of for them to serve veterans. Um, with our training program. So what makes us different than a lot of service dog organizations across the United States is we are a national model. So at Northwest Battle Buddies, we train our dogs five months professionally prior to them even meeting their veteran. And so that means we house them, we care for them, and we are very, uh, very in tune with the ability of the dog, the, the, um, energy level, and just the natural tendencies that that dog may have. And then we, we, we get tremendous information on our dogs in the fact, uh, not on our dogs, but on our veterans of their lifestyles, their ability, and um, what, they're, what they're specifically dealing with, their, how many meds they're on. We get a real great picture in writing of their lifestyle and their physical abilities and their goals. And then we specifically pair those dogs with our veterans based on what's on paper. We haven't met the veterans yet, but we know the dogs. And through our experience of all these years, we then match the veterans with the dogs. So the final piece is the interview with the veteran because we wanna see how does the veteran walk? How do they, um, you know, what's their movement like, their physical ability, what are they projecting? What is the dog gonna feel? And we match them. And then the veterans go through five weeks of training with us. And wow. every day, and we go, every, I mean, we go out into public, um, we go through uh, Portland Airport security, churches, malls, restaurants, grocery stores, teaching the laws about the ADA. But we also give them tremendous off-leash control. Because when the dog isn't a service dog, the veterans want to run on the beach with the dog. They want the dog to be loose. They want to be able to be in the woods and know that that dog is safe and going to come back so they have a full life. So the dogs are trained for five months professionally and the dog and the veterans are trained for five weeks. And then at the end of five weeks, when they pass all their testing, they are gifted these service dogs. And um, it's so life changing for our veterans. In, in 12 years, 212 dogs gifted. We have not lost one veteran to suicide. Wow. That's pretty incredible. It is. Can you, um, can you give us a, like, uh, just a more detailed exp uh, description of what happens. So let's say that a veteran is with one of the service dogs that's trained. How does a service dog pull a veteran out of um, maybe a panic attack? Oh, absolutely. Well, on, on the, on the lowest level, um, so even when we're training them, we can be out in public because, you know, we're asking these veterans to go wherever they don't want to go. They're out in public. They're having panic attacks during our, five weeks of training. They are having, I mean, 
they're dealing with what they deal with and we're because we're pushing them. We're pushing right. them. We're asking them to do what they don't want to do. But this is what is amazing about our American heroes. They find that courage because these are not just survivors. They want they want to be their best self. They're doing it not just for themselves, but for their families, for their children. It is about community. And so right there in the training, we will start to see the dogs start to, you know, uh, get their attention, try to crawl on their lap. The dog can be in a down command and we can be discussing something with a veteran. And then the anxiety happens. The adrenaline starts to pump, you know, through their body and the dog will break the down command and sit up and start to put their head on the veteran's lap or no nuzzle them with their nose or even get into the lap, start to lick their face. We were doing an interview with one of our veterans who, uh, he was in a striker and, and got hit and a lot, lot of reconstructive surgery to his face. But while talking about this on camera, his dog broke the down command, got in his lap and just started to lick his face and ground him and bring him back to the moment of now. And I've got incredible stories of our dogs breaking our veterans out of suicidal ideations when the veterans are all alone, but our dogs are there in our veterans' darkest hour and they are saving their lives. It's so incredible. Wow. So I, I don't know if you'll even be able to answer this question, but I'm curious, like what part of that story and what that dog does to break the, uh, you know, a panic attack or suicidal ideation, what part of that is related to the training? What part of that is just the innateness of the dog? It's 50-50 because yeah, it is, yeah. it, it, it goes with each other. It doesn't mean a dog that isn't trained can't respond because we've all felt it you know we've all when i would when i when my father died and i you know i didn't ever go to his grave site without one of my dogs because they felt me and they comforted me you know what i mean it's like we've all felt it that's 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 why they call him man's best friend you know um but but not all dogs can do it so it is it is the training it is the leadership it is the trust but it is the mindset that the leadership the rules boundaries and discipline that we provide through the service training and the trust, because we're asking these dogs to go, you know, dogs sometimes are asked to go where they don't want to go, but it's the leadership and the trust of the relationship that forms that. So the dog feels free. Not only are they calm in their mind, but they feel free. And then the instinct kicks in for a lot of what we ask these dogs to do. That is what makes the difference in the veterans lives. Right. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. We have two dogs and, and I see it too. Like, um, actually this morning, my son was laying on the couch, kind of feeling sick and both dogs are like at his side. It's like, they know and they're there for him. They absolutely do. And it's like, I can't live without a dog. I mean, I got a dog when I was little. I just remember when I kept bugging my parents for one and I've, I've never been without them. I actually, the only time I was without in my entire life was when we actually moved from Tennessee to Washington state. And I had to have somebody until we found a place to live, house my dog. And and not to sound whatever, because I'm a Christian. I love I love the Lord, and that's where my peace comes from. But dang it, on this earth, I needed my dog. You know, I, I really did, right. and they're they're incredible. So I'm curious. Uh, I have met a veteran who has a service dog, and one of the pieces that seemed like a challenge for him was just being okay with walking around with a dog, bringing it everywhere, and having the dog have that vest on, almost like a, a sign of, yep, here I am, I struggle. And do you see that at all? And how do you help kind of quell that type of anxiety that a veteran might have? And maybe you don't see that. Maybe that was an unusual experience. 
No, that's every veteran that I deal with. Okay. Every veteran. They well, because the thing is, is that number one, they want to be isolated. They don't want any attention on themselves. They don't yes. want crowds. They don't want to talk to anybody. What they do is they just they hunker there. They just look to the ground. They run into the grocery store. Yes, they grab yes. the milk. They get right, through, right. and they don't want to engage. And then you pair them with a dog that is vested. This says service dog, working dog. And, yeah, a bright and red veteran. vest, a bright yep. red vest, essentially like a big flag saying, woohoo, here I yep. am, and I'm struggling, and that's why I have this dog. They do. Well, and not only that, but the stigma of PTSD yes, or that yes. something's wrong because, you know, you watch the news, and if anything happens, and it happens to be a veteran, and it happens to be PTSD, that's what leads the line. You yes, know, so people, yes. they have this, you know, there's a stigma that they're going to be violent, that they're out of control, that they don't have impulse control. And that is not the veterans that I work with. Have we experienced it to a certain degree here and there a little bit? Yes. But that is an anomaly. That is not. Yes. That exactly. is not the, the norm. And that's no. the same with mental illness in general, right? There's a stereotype that, oh, if somebody has schizophrenia or, you know, another mental illness, they're dangerous. When we know the research shows they're more likely to be a victim of anything violent than to create violence. Absolutely, because they want yeah. to retreat. They're trying to avoid the conflict. They don't want to go and relive and recreate, you know, situations yeah, yeah, yeah. that are traumatic or confrontational. And so we tell our veterans, because that is one of the biggest things, they're like, you know, I, I want this dog because I need to live a different life. But now, dang it, I have to talk to people because we have to teach our veterans how do you talk to people? Yeah, how do you right, how do you right. how do you politely engage to quickly disengage? How do you because the service dog industry is such a mess because of the dogs that are out there labeled service dogs that are not service dogs, and those handlers are breaking etiquette. They are letting people pet their dogs. They are right. they are and and it's create so our veterans were we're saying we're we're going to pair you with a dog. We want you to live life with freedom and freedom and independence. We want to break barriers, go out there and live your life. And then we send them out there to all of the misinformation and the, the right. uh, what's happening in society. And now they're having to, you know, handle those Educate barriers. People. And what, <laughs> absolutely. And well, and we tell them, it's like, so when our veterans are going out and they have to walk slower, you can't race through the store with your dog. You right. have to walk slower, lead your dog. But this is what the skills it teaches them though. It teaches them to mentally be present with their dog, to stop being so hypervigilant, stop looking at the crowd, pay attention to your dog, lead your dog, touch your dog, be grounded, be ever present with your dog. And the bottom line is, is that the public is not looking at the veterans. They're looking at the dog. And right. that is what we teach them. And when we're right. walking through the mall with 12 veterans in a single line and, you know, they've got a they've got a second story and the veterans are wanting to look up and they're scanning and they, I can see I see their eye movement. I see that tight jaw. They're not breathing. And I'm like, where's your dog? Be with your dog. Touch your dog. Get your eyes down here. And I just, we got to teach them those grounding skills. And I tell yes. our veterans, your coping skills that caused you to survive to get you in front of us are not the coping skills you can continue to have with a service dog because it will not work with you. And it's, so it's all, it's not just about how to lead your dog. It is a mindset reset about training the brain. Right. And so it is so there are so many folds to why this makes such a difference. And we have veterans that have been on like 20, 28 pills prescribed medications a day come into us that are now on one medication today, a day wow. after having a service dog. I'm telling you, it doesn't mean a service dog is for every veteran and it doesn't mean every service dog organization is created equal. But when you have a dog, when you have an organization that is that is grounded with the expertise that Northwest Battle Buddies does and the way we train our veterans, 
you know, the success rate is tremendous and it absolutely makes a difference in their lives that right. is exponential. And it doesn't just, it's not a one and done. It's growth day after day, week after week, year after year. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned that I, I would imagine is a big piece of pulling the veterans out of, out of like a panic attack and so forth is just grounding, right? We hear that that's so important. And by having a dog sit on their lap, a dog lick them, all of a sudden it pulls them into the here and now and helps them, uh, helps reduce that pan those panic thoughts, I would imagine. Absolutely. Can I tell you a quick story of an amazing uh, transformation for a veteran? Sure. Um, he, uh, so he was three weeks in training. He looked like grandpa or Santa Claus. He just was this, I mean, he was a grandfather, you know, he was a, he was a grandfather. He was a father. He was, uh, you know, he's a dad, all of that, well, obviously. And it, we were three weeks in training and I was just giving an information dump. And I was talking about the very thing that I just mentioned is that your coping skills that got you here, the way you survived, you cannot continue to survive like that with a service dog at your side. And all of a sudden he reacted and kind of left the line. They were all in a line and he kind of stepped away for a minute. And I could tell you, he was, he was, you know, something really hit him and I was racing my mind. What did I say? Did I say something offensive? What happened? And I checked in with him after I was, you know, done talking because we're getting ready to go out in public. And I'm like, did I say anything wrong? And he goes, you said everything right. And, and I'm like, but are you good? And he goes, yeah. And we went out and we went in, into public and we trained dogs that day. And afterwards he came to me and he said, can I just talk to you for a minute? I'm like, absolutely. And he said, what happened today was we paired him with a service dog named Flame. And he says, prior to coming to this organization and getting my service dog, he says, for you, he says, I had suicide. I, I had a failed suicide attempt before. And I'd made the decision that the, the next time I tried to commit suicide, I would not fail. I knew where it would be, what time of day and who would find me. And every morning for for as long as he can remember, he would run his shower cold, deciding if he was going to do one more day. That is how he started every day. Wow. And what he what he realized standing, listening to me that morning was when I was talking about coping skills, what he realized is that since he we were three weeks into the program, since he had met Flame, he had not had a morning like that. Wow. He did not start. Now, fast forward months later, I get a call. And he was in the shower and Flame follows him everywhere. She's in the bathroom with him and he's in the shower having suicidal ideations, having a suicidal moment, letting the shower run cold. And Flame starts to react. She's whining. She's distressed. She's sticking her head in the shower and she broke him out of that moment because she could sense him. She could smell him. And it just got him out of that. And it was just incredible because, you know, I hear stories about our dogs waking our veterans up from nightmares. I, I hear stories about, you know, we have another story of a veteran who it was in the middle of the night and he had a box cutter and had decided to end his life. And he was on the ground and he was making, he was making the mental decision to end his life. And he was crying and just out of control. And his dog was relentless in letting him be, you know, leaving him alone and broke him out of that moment. And he actually, we got a text the next morning with a photo and he, and he took a picture of his dog pawing him and the look on the dog's face that he captured. He said, instead of reaching for the box cutter to end my life, I reached for my camera to remember Talon's devotion in stopping me. And he said, so instead of not waking up, he goes, I'm enjoying another sunrise with my beautiful wife and my service dog because of Talon. And 
I got to tell you, when I saw the picture of that dog's face, I've been training dogs for, for almost 30, de- you know, three decades. I've seen a lot of expressions and I've experienced a lot of things. But when I saw the picture of that dog's face, I have never seen an expression on a dog's face like the expression on Talon's face when he was stopping his handler from ending yeah. his life. And it was incredible. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's just incredible. That, that really is. Thank you for sharing that story. You know, it makes me think, I, have you ever worked hand-in-hand hand with a therapist? Or are there any therapists involved in the organization? Um, just to, to really know PTSD at a deep level? It sounds like you have an incredible wealth of knowledge around the topic. Well, I, I, I know it's more than it used to be. And no, we do not have therapists we work for. However, I have since I've met veterans and started doing what we do, because, you know, I tell people, you know, I'm just a dog trainer and now I'm in this world. And I know right. that I'm I know that I'm more than a dog trainer. And I don't put myself down when I say that. But, you know, I've read incredible books like The Body Keeps Score. Oh, and that's a fantastic book. It is. It's unbelievable. And then, you know, our whole program right now is going through psych armor and um, being educated. You know, our instructors and our volunteers, you know, and, and the whole Northwest Battle Ladies team, you know, we work at being educated and working with the veterans and just the different because of the, the world of mental health that I'm in, you know, I've read and just been studying myself about how we can serve our veterans better yeah. and understanding. And um, so we do not have a therapist on staff, but we definitely are educated as well as we can be and continue down that program so we can serve our veterans at our highest level. Yeah, because, you know, it just it, it really made me think, like you mentioned earlier, you are putting these veterans in very uncomfortable situations, which is super important because you want them to get become comfortable. It's almost like exposure therapy. You want them to be comfortable walking through a grocery store. You want them to be comfortable walking into the post office and you put them in these situations and you're able to train them and how to connect with the dog and so forth, right? At the same time, these situations could be incredibly triggering for a, a veteran and to not have that wealth of knowledge around PTSD and what how challenging that could be for them could put you in an, a really tough spot, I would think. Absolutely, it does, you know, and the thing is, is that I will tell you, you know, the, the organization itself, our, uh, our qualification program, you know, not everybody can qualify for a service dog because there's responsibility, you know, not only to the veteran, but to the dog. And we also want to make sure that we're setting that veteran up for success. And sometimes their life just isn't together enough. You know, but but once but you're right, once we pair them with that dog, we are wanting them to go do things differently. And it's amazing when we hear veterans that are now out on cruises. I had this one veteran. Uh, well, one of our veterans was actually on uh, on Nat Geographic. He did called to the wild and was in the wild for 10 days with his service dog. Now, my first response when he called me when he got that. But he was just this dog has been helping him break barriers and to be on TV and to do something to that extreme. But. I was like, well, what about the dog? The dog's not having to survive, right? Because, but the dog was checked medically every day and did, you know, didn't at all have to, you know, face any hardship. But in, you know, in this, this veteran has gone to the Everglades. He's gone to Iceland, but he wanted to go to the Everglades. I'm like, um, aren't there alligators there? And don't alligators like eat dogs? And he's like, I'm like, can't, leave him with me. And he says, but I can't go without him. I mean, they're, they're breaking barriers and they're living life differently, but it is the dog at their side that yeah. allows them to do it. And this is what For I... Sure. This is what we rely on as an organization. They love these dogs and value these dogs more than their very own life. And they yeah. know that this is their battle buddy. And it goes to their training that they received in service. Yeah. And we tap, yeah, yeah, yeah. we tap into that. 
And it's right. that loyalty to their battle buddy that translates to the dog. That right. even if they would think about self-harm at times or being reckless, they don't because they, they value their service dog so much. And where would my battle buddy be without me? Yeah, and, that and, is so cool. Yeah, and we rely on that as an organization. Yeah. So um, another another question I have for you, and I think we've got a pretty good sense of this, but just real high level, what would a veteran expect if they reach out to you? Like, just walk us through briefly just the quick steps. So a veteran calls you and says, hey, I'm really interested in participating in your organization and receiving a service dog. Boom. What happens? Absolutely. So our veteran liaison is their first point of contact. And they will be so if they fill out an application online and I encourage anybody that knows a veteran or a veteran that is listening, please reach out to us. Give us an opportunity to serve you. It totally can be life changing. Um, but they they fill out an application online. And then within 24 to 48, 48 hours, they are contacted by our veteran liaison. And then she talks to them and qualifies them even more, just making sure the service dog is a good fit. And then immediately once that conversation happens, they receive you know, further documentation that we need to receive. And then our veteran liaison is their lifeline, whether it's two months on the waiting list or two years until they can get to us. And then we can be pairing them with a service dog. Um, some veterans, because they do, you know, we are, even though we are national and we are represented with veterans in 23 states, the training does happen in Battleground, Washington for five weeks. And so we can't, as an organization, we can't cover that cost. But our veteran liaison absolutely goes to advocating to find resources to help those veterans be able to, you know, to, to be able to carry that load, help with the finances, places to stay and supports right. them through yeah. other resources. She is like a dog on a bone. And what's awesome about her <laughs> is she is a former Marine and her husband, who is a master sergeant in the Marine Corps, has one of our service dogs. So she sees I mean, she has a full scope. She's of emotionally connected. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Emotionally connected. That's yeah. funny. What a pun to use. She's a dog on a bone. That yes, did not she go is. past me. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And then, so then she's helping get resources such as airplane tickets and funding of the airplane tickets, finding a place to stay for that five-week training and funding for that to help support them along the way. That's what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. And then they're there with you for five weeks of training. It's every day, five days a week, full days? The week They have the weekends off because we also, you know, with, a, with the medications and sometimes TBI and then, yep. you know, one, I want to say one thing. One thing that's different about Northwest Battle Buddies is we provide uh, service dogs to veterans of all conflicts. A lot of organizations only provide post 9 11 uh, service uh, members. Right. And so we, and some of our, my favorite veterans to serve are now not Korean War because, you know, we're getting out of that age, but our Vietnam veterans in this last group, we had five Vietnam veterans receive dogs from us. Wow. And it wow. is so awesome to see them getting help and to be recognized like that. And one thing I want to mention is just because they're gifted our service dog, it does not end there. We are, we are a family. We continue to serve them. We offer ongoing education. Once they are gifted their dog, three months later, they come back and they retest, which takes an afternoon. And then they come back nine months later. And then every year after that, they recertify. We stay in touch with our dogs. We stay in touch with our veterans. We offer continued um, support throughout their life, everything around their dog, as long as they have one of our dogs. And then the other thing that is different about Northwest Battle Buddies is if their dog was to pass away, this just happened this last year. We had one of our veterans that his dog passed away New Year's Eve. And I we get a call oh, wow. at 1130. He'd had the dog for a couple years. 
And he calls us and at 1130, we're talking to him. And my first question was, are you alone? Because honestly, I was afraid he would yeah. take his life. Right. He, was, he wasn't alone. And I said, let us serve you immediately. If that happens, they go to the, to the top of our list and we serve them with a dog immediately. Wow. And he was actually a few months later, actually about a month and a half later, he was paired with our 200th service dog. And now wow. he has a second wow. service dog from us. That is so cool. It's incredible. So um, one other question regarding the finances, because, man, this is a, a big commitment for a veteran, right, if they're far away, out of state. So you talk about your liaison who helps support uh, finding funding and so forth for airfares and, and living for five weeks there. Is there any other – are there any other costs to the, to the veteran themselves? No, there is no cost to the veteran other than that. When they're here, right. when we go out for restaurants and everything, we cover that cost. However, these dogs cost the organization a minimum yeah. of $25,000 each because it the time wow. and the repetition and the dedication and the health. Because, That's with you know, the training and everything. You're absolutely. Absolutely. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But they are gifted to our veterans. Yeah. Awesome. I, I do want to make a comment as a mental health advocate around one one thing that you said, so I hope that you take this with a, a grain of salt, but I think I would be kicking myself if I didn't say it. It was a term you had used, um, and I saw it on one of the, your video pieces as well, and I'm not at all really a stickler about language. Sometimes I believe it's important, and a lot of times I never even interrupt a conversation, and maybe I thought, actually, maybe I would mention this off-air, but the term failed suicide attempt just really is one I try oh. to avoid. Because that implies that there's success to one, right? Yeah. So I just say they they attempted suicide or sadly died by suicide. I try to use those two terms. So um, I just feel obligated. I, I apologize for putting you on the spot. Just oh, something to think about in the future. No, I, I appreciate that. I've never had anybody <laughs> say that to me. And I'm very grateful because, you know, our words and the perception we put out there or the way we frame this the whole point of what you're doing, I feel, um, which is incredible work, and what we're trying to do is to get rid of stigmas and to re-educate. And so I am very grateful. I am not on the spot at all. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you. And I'm, Thank and I'm you for taking actually... that feedback so gracefully. Oh, and uh, well, I'm going to go back and check our stuff because we're going to change it. <laughs> okay. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's all about education um, and awareness. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you? I know you have a website. I believe it's northwestbattlebuddies.org, correct? Absolutely, yes. And is that the yep. best way? If a veteran's listening and they want to reach out to you, just go to that website? Is that the best way to reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, Northwestbattlebuddies.org, our veteran liaison, we immediately get it and they get into the system. Awesome. And, yep, absolutely. Oh, there's like a contact us button or something, I'm guessing, on the website? There is. Okay. There is. Fantastic. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. And I want to remind everybody, even though it's Northwest Battle Buddies, this is uh, nationwide. So you can reach out from anywhere at all and and receive a, this training and a service dog. That's so incredible, Shannon. Really cool work you do. The, the last question I, I ask everybody on the show, and I want to ask you too, other than reaching directly out to you, if there, which is an incredible piece of advice, by the way, if there's a veteran out there listening right now who's struggling, who happens to be tuning in, they're struggling, they're at home, they're dealing with PTSD, 
other mental illnesses, maybe, what would you tell them? What's your biggest piece of advice? My biggest piece of advice is number one, never quit. Don't give up. And there is hope. There is hope. Yes. And that the, the thing is, when our veterans come to us, so many of them have lost hope. And this is just a last, they've tried everything and they don't know what else to do. And the veterans that have had the courage just come, let us have the opportunity to serve you and don't give up because there is hope out there. There is a tomorrow and it can be yes. better than today. What I say to our veterans all the time is it is our hope that the, the day before they meet their service dog is their last worst day. And the day they meet their service dog is their best first day. That's they're, awesome. I love that. Yeah. And, and, and that is so important. Like you said, this sense of hope that you can recover, you can get better. People live um, full, healthy lives with PTSD and you can recover and lead a great life. And this dog could be a huge resource. Absolutely. And there are organizations out there that will not let you down. And we are one of them. Yeah. We are one of them. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Shannon, I want to, first of all, thank you for just highlighting the needs of the military veterans around uh, mental illness and PTSD. Thank you for the incredible work you do with the support of, um, which happens to be your passion as well, of Mm -hmm. training dogs to be service dogs for military veterans. What incredible work you do. Um, and I, finally, I want to thank you for being on the Depression Files. I really appreciate your time. Well, I am so grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, for Al, for the work that you're doing and helping create awareness and changing the stigma and bringing hope and education. And I'm so grateful that Northwest Bioways could be a part of it. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, make sure you stay healthy, Shannon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Back at you. Thank you for listening to the Depression Files. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. This is one small way that would help me out greatly. Please know that if you are currently suffering from depression and are experiencing thoughts of suicide, please reach out for help. In the U.S., you can call, text, or chat 988 to connect with a trained crisis counselor, or you can visit suicide.org slash suicide dash hotlines for a list of international suicide hotlines. If you would like to connect directly with me or have a topic to suggest, please reach out to me on Twitter at allevin18 or email me at thedepressionfiles at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to The Depression Files.